Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week we have Von Rosoni on, who I'm super excited. I feel like I say that about everybody, but I'm always super excited about people. I love people. So, uh, Von Rosoni is somebody that I met um, in October 2013. I got a phone call or an email to go to Tri Cities Opera and see Thomas Carmen, uh, and John was in the cast there. And we didn't talk too much, but John was one of those chorus members where every time you needed something to happen on stage, the director and I were like, let's just have John do it. John can, John can do that too. We need a solo line. We'll put. We'll give it to John. So I, met oh, John. I love those chorus members. <laughs> John was one of those chorus members. Um, so John Rosoni uh, started out in musical theater actually, and then made his way kind of into opera. He graduated from Ithaca, took some time off, and then eventually ended up at Tri Cities Opera as a resident artist in 2009. I think he started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Two thousand nine. Two years or one year. Uh, I was two years with TCO, and then I did a, a season with Syracuse Opera, and then kind of came back. You fell in love with Binghamton and TCO, so... Absolutely. Came back, and it was in 2013 that you started working in the office part-time while you were singing in the chorus? Absolutely. So, yeah, I think whoever was the current sort of um, social media marketing kind of person at that time had left, um, and there was sort of a double um, need. They needed a program editor and also a uh, person to start taking on some like uh, engagement with the community function. And so that was my kind of foot in the door. And um, that season turned into a really big time of change for TCO. Although I will say like my entire time with TCO over the past 10 years has seen a lot of changes, but um, it was that season that, you know, uh, Reed Smith resigned and then, um, we ended up somewhere in that summer following that, um, hiring Susan Ashbaker as the general director for TCO. And so sort of, uh, in time of immense change, when you're there to be a go-getter and get things done, uh, the opportunities that were afforded to me in that, uh, period were really amazing. And, um, I, I went for it and I, I, it was cool to find out, um, sort of how naturally some of those those things came to me. I think as a singer, I was always marketing myself. Um, and at that time in my life, I actually was able to believe in opera more than I was able to believe in myself. So it was, uh, it was kind of cool to just, uh, really throw myself behind something I really was passionate about and get in there and make a difference. You spent one season kind of my, my first year ish there. Like yeah. And then it was 2014. That you became full time there? Exactly. It was the 14 15 season, basically during the summer, that I was offered a full time position, um, uh, basically as a marketing and events coordinator there. Uh, and then, you know, just started envisioning events, you know, really refreshing the, um, the social media presence and trying to speak to opera audiences or any audiences really in a fresh way that was, um, I don't know, a little more. Um, inclusive and a little more uh energetic maybe a little less um less about how fabulous opera was and more about why it's interesting why it's valuable why um it's still relevant uh in culture still do it yeah Yeah, i mean it's really like yeah why are why are we still producing these shows that were written 200 years ago or, or more you know what i mean it's like um 
it was really interesting to come at it. Uh, so in a sense, like I started in uh, my first love was musical theater as far as performance goes. Uh, and when I was in college, my voice teacher said, well, you have the voice, you can do opera. And so I was like, okay, I'll do opera, you know, and it, uh, I think I was really naive to not understand how challenging that would be. Um, <laughs> you know, singers, naive singers with dreams. Sometimes we do those things and don't always fully understand um, the work involved and what it takes to, to basically, you know, I mean, I always think of opera singers as akin to like Olympic athletes, like, you know, at the highest level where they're training and training their instrument and really fine tuning and, you know, an amazing performance is really like an amazing race. And, um, it takes a lot of discipline. And, uh, I was not able to find the discipline really, uh, to be a singer long term. Um, and so I found a happy medium of being, being really able to support the art form that I loved and was passionate about. Um, and I always say that, you know, I wanted, when I first started at TCO, I wanted to be the voice, one of the voices of Tri-Cities Opera. And eventually that sort of vision came true when I became the director of community engagement and really was in charge of everything that touched the public and the way we messaged and the rebranding of the company. Um, I was really able to become the voice of Tri-Cities Opera in a different way than I ever imagined it. So it was exciting. It is exciting. It's very exciting. And that was in like 2015, 16 then, I think, right? That yeah, but we did. So the, the season, um, the first season when I was full-time was a pre-picked season by the previous executive director or general director. And um, so we, you know, it didn't, we, how do I, how do I put this? I don't know if delicately is the right word, but it wasn't something that we had chosen and that we had um, planned to, to to work with or or to be in line with the new vision that we were on board with for the company. And so there were some challenges in that, although I will say some of my most favorite work came out of the need for creativity. Like we did um, this, uh, we did the Italian Girl in Algiers, which is not, um, I mean, it's well known in the opera community. Uh, maybe not the most well known, but certainly in, in the general public and the sort of demographic that makes up most of the Binghamton and Southern Tier community, not a well known piece. And so, um, I really got to exercise creativity when there was a show that I didn't know very well, um, or didn't particularly love very well because I didn't know it. I was able to explore and find nuance and find ways to, if I, so, if I was engaged, then I knew my audience would be engaged, I guess. Um, because having that musical theater background, I always, um, it's not that I had to convince myself to love opera, but opera is one of those art forms where the more, the deeper your relationship with a piece, the more you know it, the more you've done it, the more you've heard it, uh, the appreciation grows. Like there's something about it that it's almost like my favorite operas are like, like just very close friends in a sense. And the better you know them, the more you trust into them the stronger that bond becomes. It's a beautiful thing. And so I love that you said that because I've always joked, I'm sure I've said it to you a million times that like I just don't like Bel Canto pieces. They're not my style. Like <laughs> I like the newer work. I love the like right. new modern opera, non traditional stuff. And uh, you know, this is now my fifth season run working at a Bel Canto, the Bel Canto company in the United States. <laughs> right. Woke up this morning singing Bel Canto in my head, and I just like instantly yeah. called my teacher master, and I was like, "It's over." It's all over. <laughs> <laughs> it took five years, you know. But it, you're right because the more I learn about it, and the more I, pieces that I do that are Bel Canto pieces, but 
also learning about the cadenzas and ornamentation uh-huh. of Rosini and other, uh-huh. you know, like I now know so much about it that I really appreciate the yeah. music and the style and it, you know, it, yeah, it becomes kind of like a very close friend in a second. But I mean, obviously. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think of like Mozart. Okay. So like Mozart was like, and now granted that's not El Canto, but like he was like the Lin Manuel Miranda of his day, like in you know, like, <laughs> like writing stuff that people were going cuckoo for. I mean, and it yeah. was you know this just way of it was smart and it was funny and it was like um, like making fun of different things. Yeah, making fun of things and satirical, giving context to some some really interesting concepts and and new revolutionary ideas that didn't always couldn't always be safely displayed. Uh, or publicly, I don't know, spoken about. Um, and so hidden in the context of operas and things like that. I mean, it's just really, I don't know, the history of the art form is, is vast and it's so cool, um, to be able to kind of, for me, it's the lens of like capturing this moment that this opera was a thing. Um, and it's still a thing, but like really encapsulating for the audience why it was a thing, why it should still be a thing. And, you know, there are so many universal, sorry, universal things about the human experience that translate through so much of what opera is. Uh, and I think there's always a tie-in. You just have to find it. Mm-hmm. So what, because we like talking to people who are backstage, what is it exactly, I mean, say, what is it that you do? Because you've already said that you've had like these three different positions. Sure. A week ago, two weeks ago, you're now the executive <laughs> director of this company. Um, Fair. Yes, officially it starts in, in another week and a half, but um, yeah. and so when I was there for the two years, how much I appreciated what you did and what how you communicated with production people and how, how you knew the importance of backstage and how it all kind of went together. Mm-hmm. How did you well, I, find that? Like, what was it difficult for you to do that, or did it just kind of come well, out? It's kind of interesting. Like I come from such, like my, um, my background is kind of, uh, it's like I'm a, a person of two worlds almost. Like, so I grew up as a kid in Westchester in like New Rochelle, you know, like, you know, yeah, like that Westchester kind of feel and it's a different world. And then when I was 10, my family moved up to Dryden, which is between Ithaca and Cortland. It's a very, small town um you know we moved to a 35 acre farm across from like a thousand cows you know it's it's very remote (laughs) like i had early on i think my life experience of having like something that was very um highbrow is not the word i'm trying to think of what the word it's just like that you know that westchester feel of i don't know like that just it has a a lot more money in westchester yeah, sure. More affluent and whatnot. Yeah. And then, you know, you go to Dryden and you have that experience and you grow up in the country. And then like, um, even like, so I went into this art form, uh, and went to music school at Ithaca College, uh, which is, is a wonderful program and a very so, sort of, uh, the, the privilege of attending that school was not lost on me. Um, it, it was an amazing experience. It made me a musician. It made me, um, you know, so much stronger as a person uh, achieving that degree. Um, but also there are lots of, um, I don't necessarily know that this was a, 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 it wasn't a thing of Ithaca College. It was just sort of a, there's, ooh, there's a little bit, at least in the past, some elitism that is associated with classical music. And so like for me, 
have like been in that world and lived that coming from a farm. And then like going from college where I was, you know, singing Italian arias and French and German to working for my dad as a chimney sweep for summers, you know, like these, these just very, um, opposite end of the person, uh, opposite end of the spectrum experiences, I think gave me a really good balance and appreciation for a, the thought work that goes into things and B, the hard work, the, 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 you know, the intense, um, doing that it takes to produce these things. Um, and I will say, like, at Ithaca, we got a very well-rounded education. We were very aware of all the processes that it took to make, uh, uh, you know, a production happen. I mean, in, uh, one of my summer stock experiences, actually in between my first and second year at TCO, I worked at a small theater in Wisconsin. It was a very small operation and we did it all there, you know, so I was, um, you know, I helped build sets. I helped, you know, uh, helped. I directed a show. I assisted, assisted on a show. Um, and even for shows where we had smaller roles, we sold concessions as part of the course. Like it was not ideal. I will say it was the hardest work that I've probably ever done in my life. I think, yeah, it was very, very intense, but that kind of experience sticks with you. And I think what it did was make me so grateful for all the functioning pieces when you have a good, solid professional. And I think what we had at TCO, it, it, it helped me to recognize like your talents and your abilities to do your job really well and the talents of our box office manager to do her job really well and our grant writer and, you know, our scene shop and our costume shop and all those different things that when you don't have those cogs and they're not working, it's really, really hard to do your job. And so I think that that respect and gratitude that grew out of those experiences of, of valuing all different kinds of um experience not just the ones that were like mine uh really have helped me to um i don't know build build collaborative relationships throughout um throughout any company i work at so just the same and make sure we're working towards the same goal right because you appreciate everybody you show that when you talk to everybody you know well it helps that i love people like i just (laughs) that helps like that's a big thing like i i enjoy people and like if you if I can get you to smile, that's a good day. So I don't know. That's right. You enjoy people and you enjoy the art form that we're doing. Did you find any of that other stuff beneficial when you were trying to promote a show? Absolutely. So I think like for me, it's so interesting because the public now. I feel like it was a thing when I was like growing up that it was like I don't know if it was the directors I worked with or it was like you can only show the finished product and you know, you want to like no, no peaks, no surprises, or they won't buy tickets or something like that. But now, uh, yeah. you know, you, I'm sure you both experienced directors like that or things like yeah, that. Don't and take a picture of the set. And I'm like, yeah, but this is the cool part. Like yeah, how we got fair. from here well, to there. Especially with opera where now granted the um, singer performances are always nuanced. They're always different, but it is essentially the same music over and over again. And yes, there may be, a more impassioned performance and every performance is different and beautiful and wonderful. Sometimes the thing that makes a uh, production amazing, new, exciting, different is the way a director, a scenic designer, a costume designer, or somebody behind the scenes is re-envisioning it. Um, And I think what we always try to do is come at the promotion of a production, not just, oh, we have these fabulous singers, but like, this is what's going to be cool about this show. Like our hydrogen jukebox that we did with that, I forget what it's called, but that runway set with like audience on either mm-hmm. side. That was so unique and different for our, for our space. Um, and it really, it was just, 
it was delightful to our audience. And to me, like, if you can tease at um, the way that your audience will be, you know, unexpectedly delighted and charmed by their experience, even if it's heavy content or maybe not the most like funny or, or, or um, you know, light content. Yeah, I think easy to follow, I, like jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a little, <laughs> some challenges there as far as um, PG rating or, or whatever, you know. <laughs> it's really interesting the way letting people in a little bit and giving them a little, a little inside track helps them feel a part of the story and a part of the experience. And then when they get there, it's not, oh, this weird new thing that they've never seen. It's like, oh, that's what they were doing. And that's what that little piece was. And when it comes together, simply, like that's that's the magic we make. Because opera is not just the music. It's about, I think of opera as the sort of the cohesion of every single art form altogether. It's visual. It's, you know, aural. It's about what you hear. It's about what you see. I mean, I guess it's not the culinary arts, although I've heard there are productions of Sweeney Todd where people actually do meat pies. So you never know. It there can you go. Be. I saw one in New York City like that. Yep. Yeah. Yes, there you go. See? So like, I think the more we can create these experiences um, that are exciting and relevant to people, um, whether it's in advance of the show to get them to buy tickets or at the show, uh, I think it's worthwhile. And um I mean, when it comes down to it, the the experience of the arts, what we have to offer with live performance, is really a sense of experience and community that people can't get when they're on their laptops or on YouTube or something like that. Like we have the opportunity and privilege of bringing people together um, in a way that you just can't get when you're you know alone. So how do we um, how do we augment and uh, enhance that experience? I think that's sort of in some ways, my vision for the future of TCO about really creating a sense of community and experience around the company. See, I think that two things. One, yes, exactly. The reason I love so many, some theaters like the Long Beach Playhouse is because it is such a community. Nobody's making much money. Almost everyone's volunteers. And I was there yesterday trimming uh, plants in the driveway because they needed trimming. Like, not because anyone asked me to, but because I was like, oh, I can do that. Great, I'm going to help. Uh, yeah. And the second thing is, I think a lot of people are, I feel like the immersive theater is growing a lot lately. Uh, and I think it's exactly that experience community. Everybody has gotten so used to being behind a computer or on a cell phone, not actually communicating that they're like mm-hmm. craving that connection and immersive theater is getting them a part of something with people to experience mm-hmm. something new that's not on a screen yeah but you think about like the past and even i mean it's, it's changed a lot in the past few decades but like um i think just common experiences amongst communities were much more common than they are right now and so it's really it's thrilling what we do but I do want to talk about community because you keep you keep saying community and maybe for me it's because partly because TCO was the only place that I at Hollowby for two years as a like sure. full-time position and so mm-hmm. I got to know the community. But for me, even before I took the full-time position when I was just up there for Carmen in 2013 and then Faust in 2014, um, Binghamton itself just had this sense of community to me that just like 
completely sucked me in, which I'm sure it did for you, which is why you're mm-hmm. still there. Um, it's just this wonderful, smallish town, and it's a very community feel. And mm-hmm. the two shows I did at TCO before I took the full-time position, you know, it just, I even started seeing, like, the same chorus members and the same volunteers and the same audience members, and the crew all seemed to really care. And it was just this, like, really wonderful community of people. And then mm-hmm. when I started full-time and you and I were there all the time, it was just amazing to me how much the community most of the community, you know, like really supported it and really wanted yeah. to love and really wanted to see the company grow and and do amazing things, you know. And mm-hmm. part part of that's probably thanks to Josh and many other people in the community. But yeah. what, how is it for you? Because you, I mean, we talked a little bit about the social media aspect of what you did, but then when mm-hmm. you and I were there together, you were in charge of community engagement. And so, what was it mm-hmm. that you did? to help include the community as much as you did and to mm-hmm. make them more of a community. And there's, you know, we have a, a following of people that come see like every single show and every single event and they know the mm-hmm. singers and take people to dinner and not even yeah. singers, like production and stuff. So what was it that you did to like create such a huge community feel in this wonderful town? Hmm. I think, I don't know. Like, honestly, for me, the biggest thing that I tried to do was talk to them all like they were my friends. <laughs> and like, whether it was on social media, like, just come at people from, um, I guess almost the perspective of already having a relationship. And like, we are in this, in this amazing little town in up, upstate New York together. Like, we're here. We have amazing resources. Like, I moved to Binghamton. From Ithaca, which is, you know, if you know upstate New York, it's like, oh, Binghamton. And then it was like, oh my gosh, Binghamton. Like, yeah. it was such a different perspective um, to just be here, to to live live in this community and find that there was so much more here than I realized. Like, you know, it's interesting. I think some people see Binghamton and they see what was. And then there is a whole new crop of people here that see Binghamton and they see what can, what can be, what is, what is changing. And like in the past 10 years, since I moved here, I've seen so, so many dreams realized and so many visions of growth and vibrancy in this town come to life. And it's been, it's been exciting. And to even have been just a small part of that, I mean, you know, one of my promises, one of our promises, um, you know, about five years ago when, when I really came into that community engagement position was, was opera for everyone. And whether it was doing different kinds of opera that appeared to different audiences, like hydrogen jukebox versus, you know, Faust or the classics, or whether it was finding, um, you know, access points financially for, um, for ticket sales, you know, to make sure that we had always had a ticket price for anybody that was at $20 that they could come see a show and then for students even discounting from there, like things like that. You know, I've been really fortunate actually in my previous experience with the company to, to have attended Opera America conferences uh, and gotten some really great education through them, um, which I think has been completely invaluable in my growth uh, as an administrator, especially for opera. Um, and the education of, reducing barriers to the art form uh you know and finding different ways to do that and being creative about that and how do we um meet our community where they are as opposed to expecting them to come to us i think those those kinds of 
messages that were really driven home at a lot of the sessions I went to at that, those conferences um, really rang true for me. Um, I think it was interesting, like when I was a singer, um, I never really felt like I belonged in the industry. And I think that that happens. I think that is a, a, I don't know, a parallel experience to some people who are, who are new to experiencing opera and learning to love it. And they don't know how they fit into that. You know, maybe they're not into wearing tuxedos and gowns to an opening night gala. You know, maybe they're, maybe, I don't know. There's so many, there's so many different people. And, and again, it harkens back to that opera for everyone. Like I firmly believe, especially given the plethora of new opera being written and the great encouragement for opera in English, American composers, female composers, you know, equity throughout the industry. It's a beautiful thing. There is truly opera for everyone. We just have to produce it now and we have to put it and experience it. And so I do feel like that's part of our duty. Um, but it's also challenging because it's expensive and we have a certain base in this community. And, and really my great hope is to just find that sweet spot of, 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 you know, just enough wonderful old and not old, you know, old, old works that have a new spin and a new perspective and that stay fresh and that say something new, even if you've seen it a hundred times combined with new works that ring true in a way that, you know, that every opera does, you know, that, that human tragedy or they're not all tragic, but I think that's the general, when people who don't know opera think of an opera, they think of a tragedy. Somebody has to die. This is right. Somebody has to die. Sometimes everybody has to die. It just yep. depends. At least like, <laughs> so, you know, whatever. <laughs> but no, it's this sort of, um, you know, finding ways. Like I, I think when I'm, I, I talk about the hydrogen jukebox, we did a lot because I think it was so successful um, because we were able to take a new piece, uh, an opera that is essentially a song opera of songs stru- strung together with no real story and through and the poems. So like they're okay. yeah, poems, exactly. Poems. Like beautiful and appreciable if you love those things, if you love Allen Ginsberg. But like as far as like um you know cohesive through line storytelling, not inherent in that piece. But then you have brilliant, brilliant directors like Alison Moritz who came in and found found the the tragedy, the opera Operaness, the operaticness of it, uh, and gave us that through line of setting it in, in the, you know, in the last days of Ginsburg's life and casting the characters who sang the poetry as people who were real to him. Like that kind of amazing, um, vision, I think, can make something that's new ring really true with every audience because it really was, in a sense, a tragedy on an operatic scale, but it was this yeah. new opera that nobody, that, it wasn't inherent in it. And so I think it's so interesting. Like we are, um, we are, we have to have art. We have to be making art all the time. I think that's really, really important in what we do. And I feel like sometimes, um, we lose the art when we, um, we lose sight of the art when we do the same operas over and over again without that spark and without that exciting new, um, vision for what it can be and without that a sort of attention to detail and 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 attention to relevance and attention to uh you know how it impacts not just the world at large but the community in which it's being presented to 
Uh, I think those lenses are super important, uh, and they really help us create create art that's that's essential to our communities. And so it's appreciated and consumed, and then we have successes. And not that all art is successful. In fact, a lot of it isn't. But <laughs> there's a delicate balance. There can be a delicate balance, and that is like you'll hear me say that all the time. It's my new my new mantra: delicate balance and collaboration and win, 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 no lose. <laughs> it was always a group effort. That's what, yeah. that was, that's what was so cool. That's what is so cool. I mean, an opera is a, is a miracle. When, an, when, the, when the downbeat starts and it all, I mean, that's getting that many personalities, that many, <laughs> making the stars align in that way for that downbeat to happen and to have a successful performance. Like that's, a, that's no small feat. Like that's, I, I mean, it's miraculous. It kind of is. It's the miracle of like working together to create something that's bigger than any of us. And I think it's cool because in production, like when we're leading up to the opening of a show, it's like this team and then we get it in front of the public and then it's this massive community that is all part of that experience. And that's, that's what's beautiful. And that's what I hope everything we do, that it's bigger than any singer, bigger than any production, bigger. It's, it, it has to be, it has to be bigger. That's where, that's where it's at. I think. Bigger in different ways. Like, yeah. You know, talking about jukebox, but to me, because it was so intimate, well, that means mm-hmm. that means so much to me anyways. And- what went on during that mm-hmm. sure um, but it was so intimate that like i don't think any audience member was more than like 15 feet away from the stage yeah know? i think right. it was only four rows yeah i think it was four or five with the floor i forget but it was yeah. very it was very like yeah i guess so bigger is not maybe not yeah it is it's no, bigger in the sense because now you have all of these people were now like a part of the production with you mm-hmm. and they were like breathing with you and moving yeah. with you and crying with you and laughing with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as much as I love Grand Opera and I love Big King, sure. to do something like that was just as moving and emotional yeah. for me because you're now literally seeing the audience's face at, yeah. you know, right in your lap. Which Yeah. The caveat, I guess, is that it doesn't have to be a big production to be big, I guess. Like, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be, like, it has to say something. It has to ring true it has to touch people um so i guess that's like yeah I guess that's that's what i mean by that because it's true like i mean i think what was our audience was like less than 200 people i think it was 160 per performance or something yeah. relatively small but it made for the most you know over several performances but it made for the most like you said like this just intimate uh fly on a wall at somebody's deathbed scene that was just like oh my gosh it was so poignant and it rang in a way that you can't always achieve in the big houses and so it's like the right fit um you know for 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 all the players you have in that scene you know i don't know like for the director for the production like for the company for the community finding being conscious of all of those aspects as you put a production together so that it can land um, in the mm-hmm. best for the people mm-hmm. or your uh, constituents is not the word. <laughs> I sound like a politician, but um, yeah, you know, just <laughs> doing good things for the people of the community. Yeah. <laughs> also, also talking about communities, at Tri-Cities Opera especially, I mean, I think a lot of companies do this, but again, my experience is at TCO, 
is um the outreach program that ACL yeah. has and how that how we go how we I, I love that I still say we and I've not been at CCL for two years. How we went out <laughs> into the community and like had this outreach program and the number of people and, and children especially that we reached. Um I used to have all the numbers memorized, but I'm sure you yeah. memorized. But it's such a large number of kids that we would perform for on a regular basis. Yeah. We were introducing opera to and introducing music to. And yeah. especially at TCO, most of that was covered by grants, I believe, right? So yeah, was- absolutely. I mean, that... Yeah, I'm going to talk about that because, I mean, absolutely. When, when I would talk about the number of students that we would see and like, uh-huh. um, the, the even the scope mileage-wise of, like, people that we are mm-hmm. reaching. You know? yeah. So many people that are still coming to TCO talk about, you know, they their first interaction with TCO was when they were children and they would come see opera sure. and people would go to it, you know? Like, it is pretty opera. amazing. Like, that legacy... Um, you know, Opera Go Round, as the, the, the outreach program is called, has been functioning for over 40 years, um, which is ama- amazing. I mean, I, I don't, I can't even do quick math in my head to figure out how many kids, but like there have been years where we've, we perform for as many as 20,000 children in a year. Um, you know, and, uh, heavily grant funded, but also like what's really cool, uh, lately is that, um, more and more, you know, schools are, are engaging with, um, you know, uh, BOCES programs like uh, arts and education to actually find the money to bring us in as opposed to us having to get all the grant money and, and bring it to them. So the value of, it's just been really exciting to see the intrinsic value of that program grow over the past few years. And a lot of that has to do with the amazing Karen Phillips, who has been working really, really hard to just, just make it fly i mean she's so passionate about it uh, and that's mm-hmm. part of what it takes like that love of that love and that belief in what we're doing i think that's huge but you know the outreach program is a wonderful way for us to have um our resident artists in binghamton long term you know uh we do you know three to four productions a year uh production periods are only you know, three weeks four weeks maybe and so in the interim um, at TCO, our resident artists perform in our out- educational outreach tour and it allows them to earn some money. It allows us to reach an immense amount of people in our community. Uh, and, and not only, you know, Boone County, Binghamton area, but surrounding counties. I mean, I remember, so in my capacity as a resident artist, when I first started at TCO, uh, I toured. I toured with um, Little Red Riding Hood, the opera, and I also toured <laughs> with uh, Billy Goat's Gruff, the opera. It was fun. I was the wolf and I was... Andini, one of the Billy Goats. Um, and we went all the way to Lake Placid with the show. Like we did all kinds of different, um, you know, different venues, schools, cafeterias, performing arts centers, all kinds of things. The thing is, there is a real, um, there's a real need for opera education in our communities, in our schools. It's an art form that, um, is challenging to do well, and we have the resources here to do that, and also the ability through the. You know, I'm not sure who it was who envisioned this program, but they were brilliant. Um, it really, in a sense, builds the audiences of the future by engaging them and showing them like, like opera is fun, it's cool, it's different, and we always, you know, program shows that have a good message um, that encourage kids to, you know, learn something, whether it's like you know, 
uh, making sure you brush your teeth or don't be a bully or like different things are always um, ingrained in, in the operas for the kids. And you just get this wonderful synthesis also of seeing like these young singers who are our resident artists engage with these kids and maybe see like, maybe it's not, it's probably not that common, but the one kid who whose eye twinkles and then 15 years later, they're an opera singer. You know what I mean? Or, you know, there was one, I forget what school it was, but even just this past year, you know, we did a show in a school in Delaware County and then they ended up bringing a bus full of like, I don't know, like 40 or 50 kids to come see a show. Like that's, um, that's awesome. Like that's, that investment um, is what is going to help keep this art. And I'm so proud that TCO really has a strong calling to, to make that investment in our community. And, and not just, I mean, I guess community is sort of a vague term in a sense. Like it's not just Binghamton community. It's not just the Tri-Cities community. It's not just the Southern tier community. In our capacity as an educational outreach program, the need spans New York State and Pennsylvania. I mean, there are not any companies that do anything like this uh, in the way we do it. And um, so it really increases accessibility to the art form in a beautiful way. Uh, and I think that it's conducive to, to just, you know, again, good experiences that are um, helpful, helpful to, to everyone involved, helpful to, to build up something that has seen, um, I don't know, some, some decay, I guess. I think of opera and I think of like the times of Mozart and like, it was, it was pop music back then almost. It was like pop culture. It was, you know, it wasn't, you know, people went and they, you know, even like, so in a broader sense, you think of like the times of Shakespeare when like, you know, the peasants were on the floor and like the queen was up top. And it was just like this time again of community and people come together, but it was truly for everyone and finding ways to do that, um, you know, is, is what our opera going on is about. And so we also engage yeah, in ways that are, you know, we do various concerts, we do, um, it's not really opera go around, but it's sort of an extension of it, events like opera and beer, where we engage, you know, our, our young singers in doing like the most accessible opera music ever, you know, and setting it in a bar and drinking songs and a drag queen host and like the most like, let's just spin let's just engage people on so many different fronts. I guess that's what, that's what it's about. Like it's, there's no time for us to rest uh, yet <laughs> in this sort of, I mean, we have to be healthy. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to, um, you know, make sure we don't burn out, but man, like we have work to do uh, and it's exciting, <laughs> but it's, um, you know, it's work nonetheless. And uh, I think when we, engage people on all these different fronts and really make sure that our message is cohesive, that we are inclusive of all kinds of people, this art form, uh, that it really can be this, this experience for everyone, anyone and everyone. I think if that's the message we're always sending in everything we do, whether it's targeted at different people, we create this awareness of what we are, what we are to this community and what the art form is at large. And so I think that's, how I hope to synthesize, I guess, all of the varied things that we do at TCO. I wanted to talk about Henderson Center, but I don't even know if I want to go there now because this is yeah. a big different thing. But it's just amazing the way various experiences kind of just come together and shape you. And like, 
the Anderson Center gave me um, such an interesting perspective on what work-life balance can look like, um, how when an organization is properly staffed, when people can go on vacation and have sick time and live like normal human beings and still work in the arts. And, um, you know, for me, the Anderson Center also, you know, handles about 200 events a year. So it's a lot more, the scale is much larger and it's also each piece of the process is a lot more fine tuned. And so like, it was interesting, like TCO, I, I had such a, a variety of experiences from everything from, I mean, there was one production I stage managed at the Opera Center back in the day, Hansel and Gretel, my first year, to like, you know, sorting costumes, to photo shoots, to, I mean, everything and anything we did there. But at the Anderson Center, my job was very specific and, and it was wonderful, is wonderful. You know, I manage um, the front of house uh, and make sure that, you know, our patrons are well cared for, that their experience is pleasant, that they enjoy it. Uh, and it's for 200 events a year. So, you know, I have a full staff class managers, you know, 65 plus ushers. It's a, it's a different, what I think I've been blessed to have in the past two years is that, that high level, um, administrative experience of what it's like to, to manage so many people. Mm. Um, whereas at the opera, you know, I mean, I think we all boosted each other's morale together, but I had maybe at most, maybe four people under me at the opera when it was like when community engagement was really launched when we founded the department it was like lynn jay or lynn development box office you know um an intern and i guess that was it so it was like three so this like upscaling of like management experience and, and handling personalities and and different ways of um being tactful and encouraging greatness from from people and encouraging ownership of work and 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 giving people the power to to be good at their work and not micromanaging too. I think that was an interesting thing that I really learned. Um, I don't know. It was a really valuable piece of my work experience that uniquely equipped me to be exactly where I am today and capable to this job. Mm-hmm. So like I'm immensely grateful for my experience there. I have learned so much. Uh, it's also a great group of people. I mean, just wonderful people to work with. So, and so to just, if I ever try to collaborate with the Anderson Center again, I know it'll work because I know the way they work. I have a good relationship there and I know what's appropriate for them. I don't expect every organization to like adjust themselves to, to Tri-Cities Opera's dreams. I expect to collaborate and make sure that we can work together and do something that's productive. That's good for both organizations. But I would love to talk about that you mentioned that was so, I mean, it's, it's always so, so important, but it was so important when you and I were both there. And it's going to be even more important now that you're executive director is the self-care aspect mm. that you learned at Anderson Center. And so I think this is such a big thing for everybody in the arts. Um, there's been all these articles written recently that I've seen online about um, how you shouldn't glorify being overworked and how like working 80 hours yeah. a week isn't something that we should idealize and yet it's something that especially the three of us but many people that have been on the podcast do so what what was it that you were able to do at anderson center that you're hoping to like transfer over because anderson center was more of a set schedule like right you you did i mean it was nights and weekends as well but it was yeah it was it's that we all know that's not going to happen 
as an executive right. director. No, that's very true. And I do recognize that. I think honestly though, hmm, I don't know. I firmly feel that there are and it's not gonna be like oh, I'm just gonna like do something magical and suddenly everybody's gonna be more productive. But I do feel that there are reasons like there's been research done for unproductivity and the way like taking breaks at a certain time is good for you and like structuring right. Certain ways, good for you, and that helps you do more in less time and do it, do more better. So I think that if we can find ways to do that, like I really, I mean, there will absolutely be times where we all need to just all hands on deck, work through, get her done. But like, I do intend to like care for my people, you know, care for them. Say, okay, you worked all weekend, go home. You're not working Monday. You know, I don't know. Now it's. Very easy for me to say that now, um, but I am committed. Yeah. I'm committed to that because I know what it's like. I lived it, and I never want to feel that way again. But really, in the grand scheme of things, like I didn't know enough at that point to care for myself or to demand what I needed, and so I think now I do. You know, two years of perspective. That was, I mean, you know, I started as a singer. Singers. And some programs are, are, they're abused at times. They're a resource. Everybody wants to sing. Everybody wants to be on stage. Not everybody, but you know what I mean? Like there's certainly yeah. a singer quits, you find another singer and, you know, it may not be ideal, but you can find. Um, and so that kind of mentality of just having to do whatever and be nice all the time and just do, 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 and always smile and say yes. And pound it into singers. I think in, I mean, Maybe not as much as it was, but like, I cannot even tell you how many times it was like, always be nice. You never know who you're talking to, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, I think, you know, sometimes people can hear that and have the right lens for themselves to understand where the boundaries are in that. And I was not able to hear that, I think, in, in my past. Um, and so to have gone through all of that, all of the, the, the hard work, the, the, the burnout really, it takes, sometimes it takes a burnout to learn how to never burn out again. So, um, I don't know. I think it was all it, in the grand scheme of things. I burnt out because I let myself burn out. I mean, there are a lot of different factors, but like I chose and I take full responsibility for that. Um, and I found my way out and I found an amazing situation that helped me find the time I needed to come to a good place of, Wondering what my next step was, what my next adventure would be, where my, I don't know, where my purpose, you know, lies and, and then exploring and finding that. Like that's, that's, that's what burnout led me to. So I can't, I don't regret it, but right. I, I embrace it and I don't want to do it again, I guess is what it is. And so <laughs> I also don't want, I mean, maybe some people need to go through that still in their life, but I want to protect um, you know, we had, we had some great people at the company and, and sometimes they leave when they get burned out. And so my great hope is really honestly to just create a sustainable work environment where we don't turn over employees as much. And we have a really, uh, a more stable team so that we can really build up efficiencies. And that's a, another thing that I learned from the Anderson Center and that like the company, when I started at the Anderson Center, there is a staff of 10, aside from my house managers and my uh, ushers and whatnot, there's a staff of 10 administrators. 
And I would say the, the, I was obviously the new guy. There was one person who had been there for five years when I started. And then the other eight people, the person who had been there the least amount of time was 17 years. Like, and everybody else was like, 22, 30 years. Like, it's like, oh, so this is what it looks like to have something that is manageable. And you stay there and you do good work and you go home and sleep at night. Is that too much to ask for? I don't think it's too much to ask for. So I think <laughs> what we need to figure out is like the right, I mean, sustainability for TCO. That's, that's part of my mission um, to find quickly is like how we get the right people on board, compensate them properly, make sure they feel valued and that they're empowered to, to really do not only what the company needs them to do, but to do what they feel their purpose is to do what they want to be doing that that cohesion that fit is is invaluable and if we find that then i think a lot of the other pieces fall into place um because we can rely on each other in a way that that creates a shared workload and and the ability to find the support when we need it so that nobody has to go that far down the road of i feel like sustainable means so many things it does as far as personnel but also just a company that's sustainable yeah i think what's great about tco is that we do have you know our production side i think of tco kind of as a (laughs) the romantic fancy version is like a a, a tiara with three crown jewels but i'm going to go the the the, the regular version which i think of it as like a three-legged stool um and we have production is one leg like the shows we produce the amazing you know you know, spectacle that we put out to the public. Then we also have, um, and this is, I guess, from a financial perspective, we have our educational outreach tour, which is a great, um, asset to the community and it helps with grant funding. It helps really, it helps us sustain the singers, uh, and the talent and keep our scene shop and costume shop busy at different times and different things like that. And then we also have additionally our set and rental business, which you know all about, um, that can really be a great support arm. I mean, we've had, We've had, you know, these glorious sets from, from the past of TCO, uh, that are still, you know, usable and functional. Um, and that income can really help shore up the company and sustain it for this community so that we can really continue to produce great art, um, without having to charge an arm and a leg for it and make it cost prohibitive. Um, and I also think, you know, in that, in that scheme, you know, there's, that's schematic of support for the company. Um, there's room for, you know, envisioning the rentals differently and making sure we're refurbishing and making sure we're photographing and making sure we're promoting and making sure that we can really put those products out there in a way that makes them accessible in, in a sense, again, removing barriers to not just our audience, but to the consumers of everything we create um, and allowing them to experience what TCO is and, the thing is, like, our community is small in this, like, staunch competition between organizations. And, um, I don't think that that's the heart of the organizations. Sometimes I think, it, it, you know, we all have our own identity that we're all trying to kind of hold on to and give, give and, and, and market to our audiences. But I think there's certainly room, room for collaboration and working together to make sure that, like, Again, we're not a huge city. I mean, there's like 46,000 people that live in Middleton to have a Philharmonic, to have uh, a Broadway touring company, to have or a Broadway in Binghamton, 
and to have an opera company. That's pretty amazing for a city of our size. Um, and then not to mention a university with a music department and a theater department and lots of high schools and community theater companies and small professional theater companies. I mean, the art scene in our town is huge. And the financial resources within the community in some ways cannot always be enough to sustain that. But I think what happens is if we work together and have these moments of collaboration where we reach outside of our community or do something that's bigger than any one organization, then Binghamton starts to become known as that cool, artsy, fun, performance art city. And then people start coming from the surrounding areas, cities where there's no Philharmonic, you know, or even just the surrounding towns. I mean, where you come to us to experience these wonderful things and that's who we are as a city. So it's like, I guess the plan is so much greater than TCO in some ways. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, you know, it's, Community. yeah, it is. It's like, it's not just about me. It's not just about our company. It's about building something here in Binghamton and the time is right. Like there's a renaissance happening here and it's, it's really a beautiful thing to see. Um, yeah. So I'm like super hopeful about, sort of the, the forward momentum that we can keep as, you know, as, as I take my place on July 1st and, and we kind of roll into this new era of, um, I guess me trying to figure out <laughs> what's next and, and make things move forward. I mean, I do, you know, I, I cannot even, um, I wouldn't be so pompous to assume that I know it all or how to fix it all at this point, especially, you know, there are always things you learn getting into a new job and you realize that it's different than maybe you thought it was in some ways, but it's, I certainly um, really truly would not have taken this position if I didn't hundred percent believe that I can do good for this company. I think we're getting close to an hour. We have like one more question. Do you have any twin stories? So actually, I mean, so I have two, tw I have sisters that are twins. Ooh. Um, yeah, I have Isolde and Rachel. Isolde, that's a very operatic name. But I think, and then I have, um, and then my sister Isolde has twins, Mia and Wyatt, a boy and a girl. So, and then actually my sister's sister-in-law has triplets that were naturally born with no, like, for fertility treatment or anything. It was like one of those one in a million or even, I think the odds are even less than one in a million. But, so yeah, I guess I have lots of twin stories kind of in, what was it like meeting Stacy? Up. It's funny. It was funny. Um, I think there was one moment where I heard your voice, Stacy, and I was just like, "Wait, Cindy!" Like I was just like, it was like this. Like, wait, what is? It was very confusing, honestly, at first. You know, just to like, I don't know. Like, it's it's funny because you have like, you know, similar presences, but also like different in some ways. It's just very. It was fascinating, honestly, to like have worked so closely with. Cindy, and then to kind of feel like, like I kind of know you, Stacy, in that way. Like, and because not <laughs> is there obviously like family resemblance and whatnot, but like a certain like when you grow up with somebody in that kind of closeness, there's a there's um behavioral and personality things that kind of are part of both of you. You know what I mean? And so it was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting to just kind of experience that, and then also like I just remember like. It was so fun to just hear like Cindy say twin and then twins say twin back. Like I was like, <laughs> like, 
it's like not on a phone and like that kind of um that kind of bond is still really beautiful and so <laughs> to just see that and to see that also like it was interesting that you could both work at such a high level within the same industry and like find find your way uh on sort of similar parallel paths kind of just were it's just interesting it's cool and so that you were real live and in person was kind of a <laughs> like a unicorn. <laughs> I'm not just in Cindy's head. <laughs> like, yeah. well, it, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't help. It does help that, like, because we both do theater. Like, she showed up, and like, I probably put her to work instantly. Like, here, go for what you want. Yeah, yeah, I know. You just like hit the ground running. It was like your brains were pinned. Well, thank you so much for for joining us. I know we talked about it for like at least a year before it happened. Yeah, it's funny how things work out, you know? Just like, I don't know. It works out. Yay! Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.